clarity in speaking, and Father, that you'd fill in the gaps uh, in what I say. Most of all, dear God, let us honor you and uh, make much of you today. Let us keep our eyes on the gospel, dear God, not to lose heart, uh, but to gain hope because the gospel is true and uh, it is the ultimate hope, dear God. And I pray, Father, that uh, uh, we do all things to honor and to glorify you. Amen. Happy early Memorial Day. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, for those of you. Uh, we were talking, so we, I retired from the military in 2012. We've been here almost nine years, which is three tours for us. So uh, we're either going to have to paint the house or tear out a wall or buy some furniture or something, because every three years we're used to getting rid of a bunch of stuff, getting new stuff, and moving, because that, that was our normal rotation. So. It's a little weird to have been here for nine years, but we're enjoying it and we love it. Um, when I was in the Air Force many years ago, prior to every deployment, there was a long list of things that I needed to do to get ready. So the orders would come down, you're going somewhere, and I would have this long checklist of things I needed to get done. So if I was going to a cold weather place, I needed to make sure I had cold weather gear. If I was going to a hot weather place, need to make sure I have hot weather gear. If there were any vaccinations I needed to get, had to get those. Thankfully, I did not have to get the anthrax shot. So but there were other uh, things that we'd have to get. If I needed any prescription medications, I'd have to get those filled, make sure I had enough for the time I was gonna be deployed. I need to get my will done, make sure that was up to date, that Trisha knew where that was. She knew how to get a hold of my chain of command. Just a laundry list of things that would need to get done in order to prepare me. One of my least favorite things was the endless series of briefings that you had to go through when you deployed. So there were briefings on the, the laws of war, rules of engagement, if there were any general orders that were in the theater. So a general order is just something that applies everywhere. So one was no alcohol, right? you couldn't drink. Uh, there were no co-ed tents, you had to... Uh, be separated males and females. And one of my all-time favorites was the cultural awareness briefing. And so this briefing, it was designed to give you a general awareness of the theater you were going into. So if you were gonna be working with local nationals, it would tell you customs, courtesies, so you didn't get into trouble. If you were gonna be working with the Army or Navy or coalition partners, it would tell you how to recognize ranks of different officers. Uh, that's where I learned that the proper term of address for an Army Sergeant Major is always Sergeant Major. It is never sir, no matter what uh, you say. Kevin's laughing because it's, right? So it's yes, Sergeant Major, no, Sergeant Major. I'm sorry, Sergeant Major. I'll find out, Sergeant Major. Yeah, it's, it's never sir. And I learned that the hard way. Should have paid attention in the briefing. Uh, it would tell you if there were environmental threats, so how to avoid heat exhaustion, if there were going to be sandstorms in the area that you were going to, how to avoid camel spiders, which I paid a lot of attention to because I don't like spiders, which they're actually not spiders, they're scorpions, but who cares? <laughs> they have a bunch of legs and they're just nasty. Um, but it was, it was designed so that you'd have a general awareness so that you wouldn't get in an accident or you wouldn't have something happened that would hamper the mission. That was it, it wasn't to make you an expert, it was just to give you enough of an awareness that you could avoid trouble. So we're gonna do something completely different, not completely different, but largely different today. We're talking about critical race theory. And my goal for our time today is not that you're an expert in critical race theory or critical social justice or any of those other ideologies, but it is that you have a general awareness of what it is, some pitfalls and problems with it, and that you know how you can engage somebody in this discussion. So there are people that have PhDs in this stuff, there are people that study this stuff, we're not gonna, we're not gonna delve into, into that as much, but I do want you to have a general awareness of it. Now some of you might be asking, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about critical race theory? We live in Kansas, we're not on the coasts. I don't know anybody that espouses critical race theory. In fact, until you mentioned it five minutes ago, I didn't know what critical race theory was or that there was such a thing. Well, in case you missed it, 
this past Friday, the Kansas City City Council voted to not defund the police, but to divert money, I think to the tune of $42 million from policing. So money that would have gone to putting police officers on the streets was diverted and instead is going to go into a reimagined community safety program. Part of that's gonna to go to violence prevention, part of that's gonna to go to different things. Okay, well there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with violence prevention, I'm for it, okay? Everybody should be. But that is something that comes straight out of a CRT playbook. So it's right in our backyard. This ideology, I'm gonna call it, because that's what it is, has largely overtaken the culture, okay? You can hardly turn on or listen to somebody in pop culture without some reference to CRT principles. And it's making large inroads into the church. I listened to a podcast, and I'm not gonna name the person. I listened to a podcast the other day by a well, and it was with a well-known evangelical, and I was just astounded by how much of CRT that person brought into their theology. So this is something that the, it's awash in the culture, it's making inroads into the church, and part of being wise is understanding the cultural moment that we're in, and so that's one of my goals, is that we, we gain a little bit of understanding about that. So I'm using CRT, I use CRT as an umbrella term, if you're at all familiar with this, you know there's critical social justice, there's critical theory, there's critical race theory, there's critical queer theory, there's critical whatever. I'm using CRT as an umbrella term for all of it. And we're gonna get to what it is in a minute, but I wanna talk about how we should respond first because, excuse me, because quite honestly that's way more important that we know how to respond, we know how to respond wisely than it is that you have a detailed knowledge of what CRT is. I will say also that if you're at all interested in learning more about CRT, I put a resource file out on, the, on our webpage under the sermon tab. There's some resources that were helpful to me in preparing for this. Uh, there are some source documents out there. So there's a talk by Robin D'Angelo, who is the author of White Fragility. I think it's important that we understand what people are saying in their own words. And so there's things like that out there. There are things that are pro-critical race theory. There's things that are anti-critical race theory. So if you're at all interested in that, that's available. I'm certainly not an expert, but I'd be happy to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody about this. If you're interested in learning more, happy to come to a home group or whatever. Um, again, so I can share my pain with you. Uh, but anyway, so. It's way more important that we know how to respond than what it is. So that's what we're gonna talk about first. Okay, and the first way to respond to somebody that espouses critical race theory is to not, is to not respond. Now that can be a good strategy if you're talking to what I term a, a true believer. So if you have ever talked to somebody that has a militant belief in anything, you understand what I mean. They're not gonna be persuaded by reason or logic or facts. What they wanna do is they wanna share their opinion and they wanna tell you how you're wrong and why you're wrong. And so they're not after a substantive conversation, they're not after a reasonable conversation. And what ends up happening is the conversation devolves, you get frustrated, they get frustrated, and nothing gets accomplished. So if that's who you're talking to, sometimes the best strategy is just to not engage to walk away and just not participate in the conversation. And it should go without saying that Facebook or other social media is not the place to have a conversation like this, okay? Um, one of the best things I did this year was delete my Facebook account, and I'm a much happier and healthier person because of it. But Social media is just generally a terrible place to have substantive, meaningful conversations, and this is no different. So I definitely would not get into a conversation because, and honestly, that's where you're gonna find most of the true believers is on social media. So just avoid a social media conversation. There are times when you should respond and when you can respond. So maybe if you're in college, maybe you have a college roommate, your roommate espouses this, or maybe you have a good friend or you have a family member 
who espouses this. Or there are people in the church that are going to walk down this road and they're starting to incorporate some of these ideas. And so you need to have the conversation with them. So if you're going to have the conversation, I want to suggest that you be guided by the three C's, which are clarity, charity, and courage. So clarity is vitally important when discussing CRT with somebody. Because when you start talking about this, it can seem disorienting. Um, Honestly, when I was reading some of the materials, I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience at times. And one of the reasons is that people that espouse CRT, they use language in a way that is completely foreign to most of us. So the example of uh, racism is a, is a good example. So most of us would probably, if you say, ask you to define racism, you would say it's an individual action that is based on the belief that one race is superior to another. So if I don't like Asian people, I act in a way because I think I'm superior to them, then I act in a way that is harmful to them. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't negate group action, right? Because Jim Crow was a group action by state legislators in the South to deny people the right to vote. So it's not saying that there can't be groups, but it's generally understood by probably most of us to be an individual action against somebody. That is not the definition that somebody that adheres to CRT would put to racism. So they would say that it is a system, right? Which is why people say that this country was founded in racism. It's baked into the, the fabric of our nation. It's normative. So racism is something that is all around us. It's institutional. And that's foreign to most of us. So you want to try to bring clarity and shared understanding to the conversation. And one of the best ways to do that is to ask questions and have people explain things in their own terms. So you're probably familiar with Greg Kokel. I hope you are, a lot of you. He's a Christian apologist. He wrote a book called Tactics. In fact, Kent and Christy teach a course for high schoolers based on that book. And his premise is that you just ask people to explain things and let them use their own words. And that in the course of that dialogue, you, it's a, his is in the context of the gospel. You draw them into the, where you can present the gospel. The beauty of that is that you're letting people talk in their own language. So if somebody, if you're in a conversation with somebody and somebody brings up systemic racism or white fragility or white supremacy, just ask them, what do you mean by that term? What do you mean by that? Can you give me an example of that? What does that look like? How have you experienced that? There's several advantages to that. One is that oftentimes people will hear themselves talking and they'll realize the logical inconsistencies in their thoughts. Right? So if if you remember, uh, I think it was last year, we did that video series on Ray Comfort with Ray Comfort. Does anybody remember that? Uh, And anyway, Ray Comfort, so his apologetic approach is to use the gospel. And so he'll say, have you ever lied? Well, what does that make you? It makes you a liar, right? And eventually use the law to convict people of their sin, and then you present the gospel. It's the same thing here. You're just asking people to explain things in their own terms, in their own language, so that you can have shared understanding with the hope that they're going to realize the error of their thinking. Even if they don't recognize the error of their thinking, it gives you an opportunity to understand, and then you can tailor your response and your approach to them. Okay, so it's always a good idea to ask people just to clarify what they mean by things. We also need to have charity, um, which is a hard thing to do with this conversation. So in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, Paul says to act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of your time, <clears throat> Excuse me. Let your speech always be gracious, gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So we need to have gracious speech, right? We live in a polarized culture. Gracious speech about anything is difficult in the day and age that we live in. It's especially difficult in this with this conversation. So 
we need to avoid, to the extent possible, right? We need to avoid uh, derogatory terms or things that can be seen as derogatory, calling people snowflakes, calling people woke, calling someone a cultural Marxist, right? Those are, those are unhelpful terms, they're uncharitable terms. Uh, some people involved in this conversation are Marxist, Marxist philosophy, because it does have those underpinnings. But it's not helpful to the conversation to call somebody that, okay? And the goal, if you're talking to an unbeliever, is you want to leave the door open for the gospel. The gospel is enough of an offense in telling people that they are sinful in need of a savior. The gospel is enough of an offense that we don't want to unnecessarily cause more offense and shut off the door to the gospel, okay? So to the extent we can, avoid pejorative terms, avoid derogatory terms. We wanna share the truth in love in a way that we have an opportunity to speak the gospel to people. Now, if you're talking to a believer, and there are people who would be in the evangelical camp who would hold to this theory, or parts of it anyway, uh, the bar for gracious speech is higher, right? It's a lot higher. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So to people that we share an identity in Christ with, we have an obligation to try to the extent we can to maintain the unity in the body. And that's difficult to do. We need to be extremely gracious, extremely humble in this conversation. And it's difficult to do. Uh, Paul again says in Galatians 6.1, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Now, Paul's talking in the context of somebody that sins, but it can apply to this as well, right? If somebody is in error, you go to them in a gentle spirit. The goal is not necessarily the confrontation. The goal is restored fellowship, unity in the body. And so you need to do that in a gentle spirit. And this conversation, it's very easy to bring a lot more heat than light because the minute you hear some of these terms, your defenses go up, you get, you get angry. It's just very, very easy to do. So we need to fight against that to the extent that we can. And always remember, if you're talking to a believer, the goal is restoration of fellowship and unity in the body. Okay, and this conversation also calls for courage. So I will have to admit, um, I was a little had a little moment of apprehension knowing that this was gonna be live streamed on Facebook. It's gonna be recorded, right? And my name's on it. So everybody's gonna know that I am a little critical of, well, I'm more than a little critical, but um, that I am not an adherent of CRT, okay? There is at minimum a social cost to, have, to deviating from the orthodoxy which we find ourselves. So you could be risking a relationship by talking about this, by not adhering to the, to the thought that this is a good and good thing for everybody. So you just need to be aware of that. Chances are that if you speak about this in certain areas, you're gonna be labeled a white supremacist or a racist or a bigot or some variety of phobe uh, fill in your prefix. And so you just need to realize that as well. Uh, if that's somebody that's close to you, then that can potentially, can potentially hurt. Um, I don't think we're to that point here in Kansas, but people have lost their jobs over this. People have been fired over it. Uh, one of the files out on the resource page is, it's a YouTube bill video, excuse me, it's a YouTube video about Nini's Deli in Chicago. And Nini's, the people that own Nini's Deli were a Christian family, and they refused to put a Black Lives Matter sign in their window. 
and they were shut down. They were harassed out of business. Okay, again, that's Chicago, not here, but we're naive to think that it can't happen here and it can't happen to us, okay? So, you know, Jesus said before you become a disciple, you need to count the cost of following him. And if you're gonna have this conversation and you're gonna do anything other than blindly follow it, you need to count the cost as well. But listen, guys, uh, that has been the case for Christianity forever, right? Christianity is an offensive to the culture, to the secular culture. It is offensive to say that there is one name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It is offensive to say that Christ is my one and only king. That, that, it's, that is an offensive statement to people. So this is nothing new for Christians. It's just a different flavor of the courage we should, have all, we should always have had. Okay, so let's briefly talk about what critical race theory is. Now, I'm going to use some source documents from this, so these are not necessarily my words, okay? And if you start to feel like you're going to have an out-of-body experience, would you, would you do that? And we'll have somebody grab the AED and give you a little shock and bring you back to reality. Okay, because it, it can be confusing. So I need, you to, I need you to focus in. I need you to be with me through all this because this will hopefully give you a little bit of a psychological insight into people and why they can think things that are, that are just completely foreign to us. Okay, so critical race theory. I'm not going to go through the history of it. Again, there's some stuff on the resource file that uh, is interesting. Critical race theory, actually all the critical theories trace their origins back to Karl Marx. And that's why you'll hear people say, well, it's a Marxist philosophy. Okay? And it is because all of these ideas have their genesis in Karl Marx's theories of class struggle. They all come from that. Okay, here's what critical race theory is. And this is a definition from critical race theory, the third edition by Richard Delgado. It is the go-to textbook for many sociology departments in universities. So the critical race theory movement is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power the movement considers many of the same issues that conventional civil rights and ethnic studies discourses take up, but places them in a broader perspective that includes economics, history, setting, group and self-interest, and emotions and the unconscious. Unlike traditional civil rights discourse, which stresses incrementalism and step-by-step -step progress, critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. So there'll be a quiz afterwards. Okay, there's a lot we could unpack in that statement, but for the sake of time, we're not going to. But I do want to highlight the last sentence I want to read it again in case you, you didn't catch it the first time. Critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. So, secular proponents of CRT, they largely re reject things like pluralism, they reject things like equal treatment under the law, that the law should be objective, that the, uh, we should follow constitutional principles. There's a host of other things that they, that they would say are bad or, or not good. And so they're not interested, and if you didn't catch the part that they questioned the liberal order, so they're not interested in reforming or improving institutions or cultures. They're interested in remaking them. 
They're interested in remaking them, okay? And again, that goes back to Marx. Marx was all about remaking things. It's not that you build something better. It's not that you make something better. It's you tear something down. And what's interesting is it's never explicitly said what is going to replace the thing that you tore down, other than that it's going to be anti-racist and it's going to be equal. Uh, but it's never, it's short on specifics. So I'm going to take a wild guess that most of the people listening in this building would say that equal treatment under the law is a good thing for everybody. I'm going to guess that most of us would say the liberal in the good sense, liberal order is a good thing. Neutral principles are good. Rationality is good. Reasoning is good. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. Okay? You can prove me wrong later. Um, so the question may be then, how could somebody, phrases, how could somebody come to a conclusion that is so foreign to the way I think? How could somebody believe that not being treated equally before the law is something that's bad? Right? How do, how do, you, how do you get there? Right? Well, the, the spiritual answer to that question is Romans 1. Right? Where God said, I'm going to give you over to a depraved mind. And that was not just about sex. Because people worship the create, created rather than the creator. So God said, okay, well, I'll just give you over to that mindset. So, so that's the spiritual answer. But another answer is that there are four underlying tenets, to, four of the most common underlying tenets to CRT. And I'm going to go through them quickly uh, to give you kind of a psychological insight into how people get to this point and how they, they think this way. Because honestly, right, it, it's foreign to most of us. I want to be treated equally under the law. Why wouldn't anybody else? And if we can understand these, then I'll maybe give you a little bit of insight into how, how we got to this point in the culture. Okay, the first, the first tenet of CRT is sometimes referred to as a social binary. And all that simply means is there are two classes of people. All right, this is Marx. Marx said it was class. CRT says it's race. But there are two classes of people. There are either the oppressors or there are the oppressed. You're one of those two categories. Now, within those two categories, you have social identity categories, right? And some of those can intersect. You can have more than one social identity category. Social identity categories are things like ethnicity, sexual orientation, race, religion, ability. Those are just some of the more common ones. So I'm going to use myself as an example. So my social identity categories are I am a cisgender male, I'm straight, I'm white, and I'm a Christian. Okay? So for those of you who thought I was just speaking in tongues, let me translate, because that's what the Bible says, right? So I'm a cisgender male, which means I was born a male, I identify as a male. That's what cisgender means. Thank you. Thank you. Okay? Okay. I'm straight, which should be self-explanatory, but it means I'm not bisexual, gay, or one of the other myriad of sexual orientations out there, Okay? I'm white, which is actually not true in my case because my mom is Hispanic, so I'm half Hispanic. <laughs> Can I get an usher in here to throw this man out? We have a rabble rouser in the front row. I need, I, need, I need security in here now. Rick, you cut me to the quick, my brother. Okay. I just totally lost my train of thought. I have no idea where I was at. Oh, okay. I'm half Hispanic. I'm half Hispanic. Okay. Which, which yeah, mixed, right? Which for CRT purposes wouldn't count. I would be classified as white anyway. And I'm a Christian, okay? So if you take all my social identity categories, they're all said to be dominant categories, which would put me firmly in the oppressor class, 
right? Hopefully that made some sense. Um, that was good. Yeah. Okay, the second tenet of CRT is that dominant groups possess cultural hegemony. Maybe not pronounce that correctly. And that just means predominance or control. So um, you just control the cultural institutions, you control the government institutions, right? The dominant groups do. And because of that, you can force other groups to adopt your ideology, not through force, but through cultural conformity, right? So since white culture is said to be the dominant culture, whatever aspects of white culture can be imposed on others, the oppressed class, through control of institutions and cultures. Hopefully that makes sense. So that's why you, you hear people say, well, science, technology, engineering, and math is racist because it relies on objective reasoning, or it relies on things uh, that are said to be parts of white culture. Okay, the third one is that the lived experience of members of the oppressed group gives them special access to truths about their oppression. Or said another way, that because they belong to the oppressed class, that they're able to see things the way they really are. So you're able to see truth in a way that members of the oppressor class can't because of their privilege, right? Because privilege blinds you to things that you are unable to see. So that's why people can see racism, transphobia, sexism, classism in things like uh, STEM or other areas where as a white person you wouldn't see it, okay? Because they have a special access to truth through via their oppression. Okay, and then the fourth tenet is a fundamental concern with social justice. And social justice, again, don't assume that we're speaking the same language, Social justice is defined as the elimination of all forms of social oppression, whether it's based on race, gender identity, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, or economic class, just to name a few. Eliminating oppression is the primary moral duty, and the elimination of oppression justifies any means necessary to achieve that end. Excuse me. So that's why if you remember last year when we had the riots, it was okay to burn things to the ground, it was okay to loot. Those were justified because the end was to uh, eliminate oppressive systems and eliminate racism. And so the, the ends justify the means. Okay, I know I went through that really quickly and I know it's probably pretty confusing. Uh, hopefully you stuck with me. Because I, I wanna talk about some concerns I have, and, and I have practical concerns and I have theological concerns. We're not gonna get to the practical concerns because it would just take us too much time. Um, but I do wanna talk about the theological concerns because those are more important. And again, this is making inroads into the church. So we need to be aware of those types of things. So my primary theological concern is that CRT functions as a worldview. CRT functions as a worldview. And it's a worldview that's in competition with Christianity. Now, if you're not familiar with what a worldview is, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a comprehensive way of viewing the world around us and the interaction that people have. So I'm gonna compare and contrast the, the two worldview. And a worldview is something that answers the big questions. Who are we? What is our fundamental problem as human beings? What is the solution to that problem? What is our primary moral duty? And how do we live in light of that duty? So those are, those are five questions that any worldview has to answer. Okay. Christianity says that we are all, believer and unbeliever alike, everybody is created in the image of God, and we have a shared humanity because of that. For those who are in Christ, uh, not only do we have a shared identity as humans, but we have a shared identity of being in Christ, and that identity supersedes all others. We're gonna talk about that more in a minute. By contrast, CRT emphasizes 
race, class, sex divisions, and it puts you into either an oppressor or oppressed class. That's who you are. So it flies in the face of what Christianity says about who we are, and it denies our shared humanity. Christianity says our fundamental problem is that we've sinned against a holy God. We have no righteousness of our own, and one day we're going to be judged. Everybody's going to be judged. And if you're found without righteousness, you're going to be uh, sent to hell. If you're found with righteousness, you're going to be sent to heaven. Well, the problem is we don't have any righteousness of our own. And so we need somebody to provide us that righteousness. Christianity says that that's our main problem. CRT says our main problem is that we either implicitly or explicitly benefit from and perpetuate, I can never say that word, perpetuate systems of oppression or we are victims of those systems of oppression. That's our main problem. Christianity says the answer to our fundamental problem is that we have no righteousness is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and so that his righteousness could be imputed to us so that when we stand before God, we say, well, yeah, it's not my righteousness, it's, it's this guy, okay? And we're accepted. CRT says that our, 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 the answer to our fundamental problem is to engage in activism to pull down those oppressive systems, to not contribute to them. And if you're part of the oppressor class, then your, uh, your role is to be an ally to those that are pulling down the systems, right? Which is why you hear people say, check your privilege, uh, repent of whatever ethnicity you have. That's why you hear those things. Because that's uh, your fundamental that's the way you should respond to the fundamental problem. And that's your primary moral duty. Your primary moral duty is to pull down those oppressive systems, and that's how you should live. So, uh, you know, that's why you see what's happening in Portland, right? Those guys are pulling down oppressive systems. So uh, you're bombing places, you're burning things down, you're breaking people's property. Uh, Christianity says our primary moral duty is to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? That's what we're supposed to do, is to make disciples of all nations. And we should live in a way that enables and facilitates our sharing of the gospel. So whatever that is, live simply, give generously, uh, whatever it takes to facilitate the sharing of the gospel, that's how we should live, in a way that brings glory to God. Now, I want to be fair to Christians who's or of adopting some elements of CRT because they would, they would disagree that it's a worldview in competition. Uh, some of them would say, well, wait, I, you know, I can affirm some of the same gospel tenets you do. I can sign your statement of faith. How can I be in competing worldview? And I've actually heard people say, can't I just um, eat the meat and spit out the bones? Can I use the parts of CRT that are good that enable us to have a conversation about race, can I do that? And my response is, I don't think so, and I don't think so for a few reasons. The primary reason is the way that CRT adjudicates truth claims, okay? The way that CRT adjudicates truth claims. So since it, CRT divides everybody into either oppressor or oppressed, that's the filter through which every truth claim is passed. So let me try to give you an example. So, I am a complementarian. Okay? What that means is, is that I believe that men and women were created by God with equal worth and dignity, and there is absolutely no distinction with regard to salvation. Okay? Galatians 3 and 1 Peter 3 clearly state that. Women are co-heirs. There's not going to be a men's section and a women's section in heaven. Um, completely equal at the foot of the cross. I do, however, believe that God created us differently and that God gave us different roles and that because of that, there are some leadership and service positions in the church that are closed to women. I have 
theological grounding for that. I can point you to Bible verses that would say that. Okay, if you disagree with me, we could have a conversation, hopefully both appeal to the scripture. Now, somebody that believes in CRT would say, well, no, you hold that belief because you're a white guy who wants to hold on to your power and you want to subjugate women, all right? So that's why, you're, that's why you hold that belief. If you believe in a traditional Christian sexual ethic, somebody that believes in CRT would say, well, no, you want to oppress LGBT people. Uh, if you believe in a pro-life ethic, you want to control women's bodies and what they can do, all right? So, since the Reformation, it's always been the case that we've said, whatever theological beliefs you hold have to be brought under the authority of Scripture. They have to be tested against Scripture, and whatever is not of Scripture, it has to go. CRT flips this on its head so that the Bible is not your final authority, it's your subjective belief and power dynamics is your final authority. That's the lens that you pass everything through. And my belief is that people that are trying to straddle the fence, that are trying to have one foot in both camps, that that's going to be an untenable tension at some point. One of them is going to have to go. So, and in fact, in 2018, Union Theological Seminary, they published a tweet that said, we deny the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's word because it contains both God's revelation and man's sinful proclivities. So that's the, that's the inevitable road at the end of this, right? Is you're going to have to, you're either going to have to affirm the Bible says what it says, or you're going to have to affirm that I say what the Bible says. There, I just don't see any way out of that. Okay, you guys still with me? All right, nobody, nobody did that. Nobody wants to get shocked. Okay, another pitfall is um, CRT emphasizes ethnic identity over your identity in Christ. Now, it's absolutely true that when you become a member of the body of Christ, you do not lose your identity or your ethnicity, right? Revelation 7 is a beautiful, beautiful passage. It's the... People that are coming out of the great tribulation, they're clothed in white. And John says that they're from every nation, tribe, people, and language crying out with one voice. Right? John saw people that had different skin colors, had different cultural backgrounds, had different ethnicities. Over and over and over in the scripture, the Bible, the body of Christ is presented in this beautiful unity in diversity, right? You don't lose who you are. But who you are is absolutely subordinate to your identity in Christ. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3, 27 to 29. He says, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, Paul goes even further than that and says, the things that were a benefit to me by being a Jew, I consider dung for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. Again, CRT flips that. So it's not that your ethnic identity is more, is emphasized over your Christian identity. So that you're a white Christian or a black Christian or an Asian Christian rather than a Christian who is half Hispanic or <laughs> Asian or any other ethnicity. So it turns it on its head. And the final theological concern I have is that proponents of CRT tend to emphasize that the church's primary, excuse me, primary responsibility is to free people temporally from oppressive systems, right? So the struggle to dismantle racism is the primary thing the church should be engaged in. All right. And that's just a repackaging, really, of liberation theology, which has been with us for forever. Um, 
And again, I mentioned Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I think this flies in the face of that. Jesus had opportunities when he was on earth to say, I want you to dismantle this thing or that thing. John 17, he gave a new command. What was it? It wasn't go take on Nero. It wasn't uh, free the slaves. It wasn't upend the system of economics. It was to love one another. In fact, when he was before Pilate, what did he say? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my followers would fight. Instead, what he said in Matthew 18, uh, 28, 18 through 20, is to go and make disciples of all nations. The proclamation of the gospel and making disciples is our primary duty. Now, saying that doesn't mean we don't care about justice. It doesn't mean we don't care about helping the poor or the orphans or anybody else. As a church, we support the rescue mission, which is meeting physical needs of people who are homeless. We support crisis pregnancy centers, which are meeting physical needs. It's not an either-or for the Christian. It's a both-and. But where there has to be a primacy, the, the gospel has to be it. Okay? Sorry, I lost my, lost my place here. Oh, um, so meeting... Meeting uh, physical needs it can also be an op- opportunity to open a window for the gospel. So uh, we used to work with Safe Families for Children. Some of you may remember, we would always have little kids in tow that weren't ours, right? And I can't tell you the number of times people would ask us, why are you doing that? Why do you do that? And that would be an opportunity to tell them why I'm doing that. Why we do that? Because I believe, as a Christian, that we not only have an obligation to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, but we have an opportunity to do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith, as Paul says. Okay, so I know this is a ton of information. You guys are doing great. Nobody's passed out yet. So I want you to, after this is over, go do something nice for yourself. Go get some ice cream or... um, It's cheat day for everybody, okay? So no matter what your cheat day is, today's cheat day. So go pig out on a burger or whatever. All right, I want to wind down um, by talking about some ways, some practical things that we can do to, to arrest the spread of what I think is ultimately a destructive ideology. Okay? I'm all for uh, not being racist. I'm all for the common good of everyone. But I I think this is not the way to get there, okay? But there are some things that we can do. Uh, One of the ways that we can be helpful in this conversation is that we we can acknowledge that racism still exists. We can acknowledge that racism still exists and that there are actual incidents of racism, okay? I just read in National Review this week In Mississippi, there was a group of highway patrolmen who would pull black motorists over for little or no reason and would be physically violent. In one instance, they killed somebody. And then they covered it up to do that. Okay? So minimizing that there is actual racism is not helpful. You know, this is similar to what happened in 2015 with gay marriage, right? We got gay marriage in part because heterosexuals were not serious about marriage. We didn't value the institution of marriage. We didn't call people out for living together. In part, it's why we have gay marriage. Now, maybe that was going to be inevitable. I don't know. But part of the responsibility rested with us. And so... The church needs to be a prophetic voice to call out actual incidents of racism where they occur. Truth, you know, we follow one who is truth, and that demands that we speak the truth wherever that is, whatever that is and wherever that is. Another way that you can protect against CRT is to be informed. Okay, again, 
you're not going to be an expert in any of this, but you should at least know when somebody is using language that is leading them down this path. Read widely, read critically. Just an encouragement to parents. The best gift you can give your kids is to teach them to think critically, to evaluate ideas, okay? To, to really think through things. A lot of this stuff is just logically inco incoherent and, and people can't see it because they haven't been taught to think. They haven't been taught to think well. So it's one of the things we can do. Um, as you're reading, read your Bibles, okay? Read the scripture because scripture will tell you uh, favoritism is not a good thing and in fact it's sin. Scripture will tell you there's 59 passages about how we should treat one another. We should bear one another's burdens. Scripture will tell you about the shared humanity we have and how our identity is in Christ. All those things are in the Scripture, and that's really the antidote to it. And then finally, and most importantly, we need to, we need to be relentless about upholding the primacy of the gospel. The gospel is the thing. So people are turning to different ideologies because we live in a world that is desperate, desperate for hope. It is desperate for it, and people are turning to things that offer absolutely no hope. None at all. Instead, we need to be ruthless about sharing the gospel because that's the, the, the only hope we have is the hope that's found in Christ. So the gospel has got to be the thing. You know, Paul says our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, right? Our fight is not against CRT. Our, our fight is against the enemy who doesn't want the gospel preached to distract us from the things that keep us preaching the gospel. So we need to be relentlessly focused on the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. All right, you guys did great. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, would you stand? We're going to read from 2 Corinthians. Okay, so let's read this together. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. <laughs>